For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday, and I want to take a look at the Parsha, uh, which this week is being sponsored by my good friend, Dr. Mo Friedman. And he's doing it, um, as he puts it over here, in honor of some friends of his in Florida, in honor of my good friends, Rabbi Aryeh and Razi Schottenstein of Surfside, Florida, two people with Chachma, Bina, and Das, wow, who are walking Kiddush Hashem's. I assume that they're Lubavitchers. That are walking, two people with Chachma, Bina, and Das that are walking Kiddush Hashem's. So uh, that's a very nice tribute. Uh, here we go. Hi, it's um, Monday afternoon. I'm going to try do a second podcast today. And I maybe even want to do one about my Israel trip later. Um, but I'm going to take a look at the Parsha. Take a look at the Parsha, which is being sponsored by Dr. Mo Friedman. Uh, it's very busy these days, it appears. Uh, catering to all the uh, big rabbis and things like that. Um, and uh, I want to share a thought I had, insight, uh, and this week's Pasha about Esau and about life in general, Mr. Haskell. I think we all know the story of Yaakov and Esau. But the interesting part is, you know, the Torah tells you these stories for various reasons. Um, one of them is, is uh, you know, how do we react in similar, how do we react in similar situations? And I'll tell you where I'm going right, I'll jump right into it. You know, Esau behaves pretty well. It's interesting. We are taught to hate Esau and this and that and the other and Evrosa, Shmuel, and Netzach. And there certainly is a long history of enmity between Yaakov and Esau, no question about that. And especially when you go down in history and if you buy into the idea that Esau eventually becomes Rome and then Christianity and things of that nature. I get that. But if you look at this story, Stam and the Belterine, um, and you don't attach on to all these um, extra chazals that Esau was meanwhile being engaged in Gilarash with Adam but Zorah, and he lied to the father and this and that and the other. You come, you see something very interesting. Esau did not allow his being cheated by Yaakov as he saw it to uh, become the dominant theme in his life. It's very, very interesting. Uh, Esau could have said, he cried bitterly in this week's Parsha, last week's Parsha, um, or told us rather, when he was, uh, you know, when he was cheated of his birthright as he saw it. Uh, something like that. And the Zimra Chazal that says that, you know, that was a cry that was sort of justified, which is why in the time of, of, of uh, Esther and Mordechai, the Jews had that cry. It's, uh, you know, nothing escapes divine justice. It caused Esau a lot of heartache, and then later on, Esau's descendant, uh, Haman, caused us a lot of heartache. Okay, be that as it may. But what did Esau do after this incident was over? Well, he planned to kill Yaakov. That didn't work out because Yaakov ran away. And Yaakov was away for decades. So what did Esau do? He could have gone on like one of these people you see now who is scarred for life by this event. After all, he obviously, they obviously held the bracha of Yitzhak to be a big deal, which it was. The Torah wouldn't give you this whole business if the bracha of Yitzhak was not a big deal. And Esau didn't get his fair share of it, which is true. And he expected the primacy, which is true. 
Um, so why didn't Esau sit around the rest of his life talking about how Yaakov cheated him? Of course, had he done that, Esau would not have gotten along with, uh, 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 with his own life. But that is not true. That's the interesting part over here. Esau was able to pull himself together. And in the long run, he didn't need the bracha, so to speak. What is the story of this week's parsha? To use modern terminology, they fought over a certain Yerusha, let's say half a million bucks. But then one child went to the California, and the other child went to, uh, you know, Boston. And this guy made millions and millions and millions in real estate. And that guy made millions and millions and millions of places in dot-com or something like that. And the half a million they were fighting over in the first place was like a bupkis. And 20 and 30 years go by. This guy's now as rich as Bill Gates, and that guy's now as rich as Bill Gates. So it is true that there was something in the past that was like an ugly incident, shall we say, in terms of fraternal uh, harmony. And it is true that, you know, somebody got cheated by the other and all that. It don't matter. Asaph ended up having a life. He ended up, uh, you know, getting married multiple times, and Alufe Asa, we're told in the Torah, those are trouble to tell you, what a great chieftain he was in the names of his uh, descendants, and they themselves generated whole tribes. Asa became a Gansamacher. So, yes, it's true the story of Yaakov happened, but since Asa was able to fill his life with actual accomplishments, as we would say today, the guy did get married, he did raise a family, he did buy a house, he did do this and the other. So what happened when they were 19 or 20 years old now recedes into, I won't say insignificance, but much less significance. Because you made it happen that way. Because you filled your life with accomplishment. Asa was a great man in his way. Uh, Asa was a great man in his way. And he was about to take over a whole empire of his own in Edom and all that, which they tell you in this week's Parsha. And uh, therefore, what happened with the bracha of Yitzhak and Yaakov and all the rest of it happened, no question about it. But it was, you know, it, it, it paled into insignificance in terms of his own life. When Asa finally died, he could say, I've become a great man, and, you know, I founded a whole empire and a dynasty of my own, all the rest of it. And so what do I care what Yaakov did? Now, if Yaakov would have... And, and by the way, Yaakov was the guy who was freaked over this and couldn't believe that Asa was thinking this way. Yaakov obviously imagined Asa was a person obsessed with the injustice done to him when they were both young and every day thinking about it, and every day throwing darts at the dartboard with Yaakov's picture on it, and talking about it whenever you met him at a bar mitzvah or at a chasano, how he was screwed over by Yaakov and, and so on and so forth. But that's not exactly what, actually what happened. Yaakov cleared out of town. Asa was left over there. Asa went on his own merry way, decided to build his life as best he could. If it wasn't exactly going to be the super whatever bracha of Yitzhak, It'll be a, a pretty good account of, of Ace of himself. Like I say, he made his money, and he ended up buying a nice house. And he ended up being able to afford his vacations and the pays the hotels and all the rest of it. And so, you know, does it matter that much that he was mistreated once? Then that's a tremendous sign of mental health as far as I'm concerned. Because I know people, and so do you, that um, were dealt bad cards. I mean, I'm not going to get personal over here, but, you know, mentioned by his name, obviously. But I know people that uh, were, were um, that wrong was done to them at this or that point in their life. 
And uh, and it was. It really was. And the problem is, they didn't get over it. And that became almost like a dominant theme in their life, the fact that they were screwed over when they were young. And that prevented them from moving on um, and joining the rest of the rat race and proceeding along the normal paths of life, whether in terms of getting married, whether in terms of a job, whether in terms of this, that, and the other. And therefore, they remain permanent uh, victims of the um, injustice done to them in the first place, permanent victims of the assault perpetrated upon them in the first place, and the assaulter, or the other one, that didn't happen to them. They went on their merry way. But the victim ended up defining himself and herself by the wrong that was done to them and uh, and constantly speaking about it and revisiting it until it became like, in some respects, their most precious possession. The hatred they have towards this one or that one for the wrong that was done to them. And I want to repeat, and and they were not wrong, in other words, wrong was done to them. You understand? Injustice was perpetrated upon them. I'm talking about in case I know. But the sad part is that came to define them. Now, what you learn from, in my opinion, what you learn from Parshish by Yishlach, from Esav of all people, is that's not the way it needs to be. Um, as a matter of fact, the way, perhaps the only way, I'm not a psychologist, you know, it's not my field, I don't claim any, any of that stuff. But basic, you know, uh, common sense shows you from our Parsha, the Esav comes across pretty smart. Yaakov was afraid Esav would kill him. It turns out Esav, Achi, Yishlachi, you know, Yishlachi, you know, in other words, I'm a multimillionaire. You don't have to give me a million dollars, two million dollars to make up for the fact you ripped me off when we were young or something like that. As men garnished. Imagine today, two people are arguing over, you know, uh, a piece of property that's, that each one has claims to. Maybe the father didn't leave in the will who should get the house or something like that. And they get bitter arguments, they get lawyers and scream at each other and so on and so forth. And then one goes off and wins the Powerball lottery. It's a joke now, though, the house that they were fighting over. The guy's loaded beyond the gills. Right? He's never going to have to look at money again. So what does he care about the house? Now, he could. It is possible for a person to... Uh, it is possible for a person to say that this hatred that I possess for the injustice that was done to me is so precious that it becomes the most important asset in my life. And if I ever meet you anywhere, I introduce myself by saying, I'm the person that was screwed over by so-and-so. I'm the person that uh, that wrong was done to by this school or by this Rebbe or by this person or, this, or that person. And I want to repeat, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. In other words, what they're saying is not inaccurate. But the problem then becomes, you know, and what do you do with it? Now, in a perfect world, a person dreams of revenge. But you know something, aside from the fact that you have low signal and seat, or totally aside from the frummy stuff, usually in life you don't get revenge. <laughs> Asaph is not revenged on Yaakov, you, you understand? I mean, it, it, it doesn't work that way. And so, if you say bad was done to me, the only thing you can do realistically, as far as I can see, is try to make yourself an Asaph and try to make yourself a Yaakov. And those, use what's left, with whatever you have left, and try to build the best out of that. And not rarely, you'll see that you can build something out of that. And that makes the injustice and the wrong and all the rest of it be seen in a proper significance 
which means it lessens its importance and therefore contributes to your mental health. Your mental health. Uh, Asaph does not come across a, 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 as a guy who is up late at night saying, Oi, what Yaakov did to me, all the rest of it. Yaakov thought he was. And Yaakov was actually bothered by his, you know, fears. That's how they learn, right? Yaakov was bothered by his fears. Yaakov was the type of person to say, I'm sure he'll never get over it. He'll never get past it. Woe is me. What do we do now? That's probably the main reason why Yaakov never uh, tried to get out of Lovin's house earlier. You know, you go back to Israel, you face Esau. Only when Lovin became so bad that it became impossible for Yaakov to stay there. So then you see a different story. But for decades, I repeat, for decades, Yaakov was away. Now, um, when Yaakov comes back, he's still obsessed over it. And Chazal, I think you know this. I'm sure I've said this in early times. Chazal criticized Yaakov for being obsessed over this. And so you have Yaakov being, the, you know, the person criticized. And Asa, the Chazal will not praise Asa, but Asa comes across the person that, you know, got it right. Yaakov, all these years he was in Loma's house, he's wondering what's going to happen if I ever go back to Israel and Asa will come and get me. Um, you know, like that. And Asa wasn't thinking like that. Asa was not thinking like that. And the Medish Rabbi, I think, says that, uh, what did you do that for? Uh, something like that. Um, which means that, so this is a famous medrash, and I'm sure it's not the first time I'm quoting this, uh, that it's a chazal, a medrash rabbah, that at the time Yaakov was returning to Eretz Yisrael, running away from Lohan, happened to coincide with the time that Esav, for his own reasons, for reasons of excessive property, was deciding to leave the land of Canaan and go south to the Negev to what eventually became the kingdom of Edom. So in other words, you're worried about moving back to the neighborhood where your brother lives. Actually, your brother just decided to move to Long Island or something like that, you see? And, you know, the moving the, the moving truck's already there. And you're sitting in your, you know, house not knowing that and, and worrying and going through all different scenarios. What's going to happen when I get there? He's going to see me, and then all hell will break. All hell will break loose. And it was this fear that led Yaakov to send him presents and say, "Come back." And in other words, the way the Chazal understand is, Asa was heading south, away from Yaakov. And when the messengers came with the present, Asa, oh, Yaakov's here. Let's turn around and see him. So it was Yaakov's very, um, what's the right word? You know, writing to him, soliciting him which triggered Esau's changing of the mind instead of going straight south, and then he himself with 400 men went north to greet, greet, greet Yaakov. So, what they, and, and I might say that, uh, what's the plus thing to use? Uh, I remember this. It's very disgusting to see a tzaddik abase himself before Russia. Um, hold on for a second. You hear it as I pulled out the menish. The Chazal say like this: "Mayon nirposh makar moshchas tzadik mot lufni Russia," which is a pasuk in Mishlei, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-six, uh, which means if a tzadik mot lufni Russia, when a righteous man gives way or bows down to a Russia, it's like a muddy spring or a polluted well. This is something disgusting. Okay, 
Now, uh, what's the what's the meaning of that? You don't have to go in. And Asaph has a life. He wasn't thinking about you all day long. Asaph by this time was big and powerful, and that itself meant that he's not thinking about you. So you move to Israel, he won't come and bother you. You see, Yaakov didn't understand it. He didn't believe that Asaph would be this way. Okay, and again, Machzik Bozne Kelev over Misabariv Lolo. That if somebody gets involved in a quarrel which is not his, which means you get him into a quarrel which need not have happened in the first place, it's like pulling the ears of a, of a wild dog. You're asking for trouble, bite you. And notice he sent the whole thing to Esau, called Marav de Chayakov. He abased himself and Esau came. Now, I know that we usually read it that Esau bit him, but the Pashim shot is not that way. That's based on the idea that all those dots represent teeth which is not what the dots really are. They're, they're Masoretic notes of a different nature. I know I've talked about that in earlier years. But uh turns out that Aesop, as I said, you know, uh, was in the process of uh, establishing himself in a better situation than he had been in the first place. Let's put it this way. If Aesop was leaving the land of Canaan, he did not see it as a land of promise. If Aesop was leaving the land of Canaan, he had so much goods, he preferred to go to Edom, so what would he have done with the bracha of Yitzhak anyway, which was the, the bracha to, to rule the land of Canaan? In the end, his own economic situation moved him to move to Edom, which would be better for his particular economic needs. I don't know if he had sheep, he had cattle, whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is they had. Uh, and Asa prospered where he was. Asa prospered over there. Uh, so it's just very interesting because it goes to show you that uh, Esau didn't, didn't, didn't uh, become obsessed with this. Now, had Yaakov acted arrogantly towards him, that's the difference. I'm not saying that. And, you know, Yaakov shouldn't say like this. Who cares? What's the difference? Yaakov was, I would say, in general, properly humble, although Chazal do not agree with what I'm saying. Uh, it's The Chazal are very disturbed, meaning they disapprove of the fact Yaakov bows down seven times to him and all the rest of it. But in Pashib Shat, not in Chazal terms, Pashib Shat, Yaakov was simply trying to say like this, listen, it happened a long time ago. I don't want to stir anything up. I'm a millionaire. You're a millionaire. I have what to lose if we quarrel. You have what to lose if we quarrel. You see, if we didn't have anything to lose, then let's quarrel. But if you do have what to lose, that should make you, you know, a more conservative in political sense. And they were less inclined to go to war. And Taka, that's what happened. One of the reasons Esau doesn't go to war with Yaakov is, Esau has what to lose. He had, you know, a huge amount of property, all the rest of it. And, you know, when it goes to battle, you never know. You think you'll win, but sometimes you don't win. And is it worth it? And such cheshbonas would not have hit a guy like Esau had he been, you know, alone and uh, younger and, uh, you know, with less to lose. So it's very interesting the way the whole parsha goes. Uh, I'm thinking... Uh, in my own family, my mother had a sister. She was one of 11 children. She had a sister um, who remained behind in Europe in Czechoslovakia in Bratislava. After the war, she couldn't get over the Holocaust. Now, I'm not blaming her. She was in Auschwitz. So I do understand, you know, we're not sitting in judgment over here. I do understand that. But at the end of the day, she, she simply couldn't get together and patch her life up again. Um... On the other hand, other people like my parents did that. Now, I'm not saying they forgot, you know, what to do, you know, what they lost in the war. 
I'm not saying they forgot their loved ones. I'm not saying they simply got over it and didn't think about them again. But the only way to deal constructively with something like the Holocaust, and now I'm talking not only my own generation, my own parents' generation, my own parents, but the whole generation like that. I'm sure the parents and grandparents of a lot of listeners. The only thing they could do is say like this, I'm not going to be obsessed with what Hitler did to me all the time. Although what Hitler did to me was terrible, and beyond terrible. That's true, beyond terrible. But the only way to deal with it is to, The only way to deal with it is to try to build whatever life you can after the war. Uh, not, you know, uh, downplaying the terrible nature of what happened in the war, in the Holocaust. And when you see like that, so you look back years later if you, and, and, and if you have something to show for your life, so it puts the Holocaust thing in a kind of perspective, you understand? As a perspective, it doesn't make it uh, light. Well, it kind of does make it lighter. It doesn't objectively change the losses, obviously, but, um, and, the, you know, the Kedoshim are the Kedoshim. But it does um, put, it, it does help assuage the pain because you see my life wasn't simply one litany of suffering it wasn't one long litany of suffering and anyway that's it's just funny to me that of all people you see you see from Asaf, uh the Jewish people we maybe have a uh, uh, what's I don't know you know maybe one of our faults we never forget anything uh, I know so many people I'm so, I'm sorry to say it you know that they're still obsessing over what happened a long, long ago. And and bad things did happen a long ago. Notice they're the victims and not the perpetrators. But they couldn't see the ace of thing, which is, yes, you are the victim and you were, you know, wrong was done to you. But now go build up Edom and uh, put yourself in a situation where what happened long ago, although it is wrong, does not define who you are but rather your own uh, life efforts and, and accomplishments defines who you are. Well, I was interrupted. Anyway, so it's uh, interesting you get a life lesson from Aesop, but the Torah tells you these things in funny ways, doesn't it? Anyway, once again, I want to thank Dr. Mo for um, sponsoring today, uh, uh, Moshe Friedman, and wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.